When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, they say free throws are supposed to be free, but that was anything but the case in Michigan State's disappointing loss at Minnesota on Tuesday night. Tom Izzo's crew went 7-for-17 from the charity stripe and saw a nine-point lead slip away in the second half to lose 59-56 to the Gophers. It's a major missed opportunity for the Spartans, who were looking to climb into the top four in the Big Ten ahead of a massive home game with Illinois. We will discuss the blow-up at the barn and take another look at MSU football's recruiting class, considering it's National Signing Day, on episode 138 of Live Spartan Confidential Podcast. Braden champion Kyle Lawson and Matt Wenzel with you on Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. Everyone, thanks for listening. Kyle, Matt, thanks for being here. Uh, and Kyle, welcome back from the from the Twin Cities. We will obviously get to the game here in a bit, but uh, I guess I, I'm kind of curious for those who haven't been there. I haven't been there. I, I don't. I guess can you kind of just set the scene, describe the atmosphere of what it's like in Williams Arena, aka the barn? It's obviously a uh, one of the more unique venues in the Big Ten. Yeah, um, just everything about it is just old school. You know, um, the architecture not very much has been updated. Um, they call it the barn because it's shaped like a barn, obviously, but the ceiling is just like twice as high. It feels like as any in the, in the big 10, you know, just an enormous building. Um, obviously the raised floor is unique. Um, you've got Thomas here sitting there on a little stool and everybody else kind of, um, back behind there, but old school bleachers, kind of everything concrete, you know, none of the nice, I mean, they got some nicer stuff kind of in the concourse, but everything feels like straight out of, you know, 1940s, 1950s. And, you know, in an, an era when every arena is kind of getting all these new kind of luxury, everything. Um, it's kind of nice to take a step back in time as I like to think of it and, um, and go to Williams arena. So I, it's, it's one of a kind in the big 10 at least. So it, it's always one of my favorite stops. Just to clarify, Tom Izzo is occasionally sitting on the stool there. He uh, spends most of his time standing up yelling, uh, especially last <laughs> night, but uh, no, yeah, you can tell just by watching that it has kind of a different feel and sound to it. It sounds more like cavernous and echoey mm-hmm, when things sure. are going on in there. And you can, that even translates on screen. It's definitely a venue I would like to get to. I want them to get good because it seems like it would be awesome in there. They have not really been that good since I've been covering the team, but I, like if you could combine that venue with an awesome atmosphere, I think it could be the best in the big Ten. Yeah. And you were, you got a little taste of it last night. I would say, you know, it still wasn't capacity crowd. You could see the empty seats. The students I think are still, kind of buying in Minnesota, obviously a huge hockey state. And, you know, I heard Richard Pitino talking about Minnesota the other day on, I mean, he obviously doesn't coach there anymore, but he did. And just how you're, you're competing with pro sports when you're in Minneapolis, it can be kind of a unique challenge there, but I agree. It would be nice to see them going. And I think Ben Johnson uh, is doing a great job. I know Tom Izzo thinks a lot of him, and he kind of proved last night some of the reasons why he's a good coach. We'll get into all that. Uh, like I said, appreciate everyone for listening, but Kyle, it, Ultimately, a pretty disappointing performance for Michigan State. Uh, free throw shooting is kind of going to be, you know, the thing that I think people talk about. It was a story early on in the game. Malik Hall missed three out of four on back-to-back trips. What Carson Cooper missed a couple. Cohen Carr missed a couple. And it looked like there uh, at the end there was a chance maybe that, you know, free throws were going to be sort of 
a poetic way that they were going to kind of bail Michigan State out with A.J. Hogard, their best free throw shooter at the line, and he nails the first two and then misses the third, and, you know, it went on from there. But that kind of solidified what the storyline was going to be. Yeah, um, one of those, uh, shoot, I'm going to have to rewrite a whole story here if he makes this free throw. But um, he didn't, so missed free throws were still a story. But, yeah, I mean, that um, – I mean, they put themselves in a bad spot before that. Like you mentioned, um, they, um, I'm looking at the play-by-play here now. You know, they're they're down one. Malik Hall misses two. You know, you could have taken the lead there. Um, they force a miss. Then they Jay Nakins hits a three. You're up two. Carson Cooper goes to the line. He has a chance to put you up two possessions. He misses two. Uh, and this is all with five, four minutes left in the game. Um, and then Cameron Christie, um, familiar face to, to those at Michigan State, um, starts hitting some threes. I thought he had some really big shots. And, um, yeah, had a chance to, you know, really if you can go, if you can kind of take that lead four or five minutes left, you can kind of put yourself in the driver's seat. And, and they just couldn't do it. Um, so, yeah, uh, um, Malik Hall, you know, he, he took the blame for it. He said it's unacceptable to go one for six from the line. He got off to a good start, uh, which is usually a really good omen for this team, like we talked about, and then he did not score in the last 30 minutes. So um, kind of broke his streak there of, of consistency. Um, um, and, and then we can talk about more beyond the free throws. But, yeah, I mean, this is an okay free throw shooting team. You know, um, they're not the best. They're not the worst. Um, they just they picked a bad time for to get the, the misses. I mean, Malik Hall seems to be compounding on each other last night. Uh, it seemed to be in his head there once he missed one or two. Are they okay, Kyle? Because they're at 68%, which is 279th in the country. I mean, that's, that's not good enough if you're Michigan State. Tom Izzo doesn't think that's good enough. Last year, they were 38th in the country at 75.9%, which is what, I, I mean, this has been one of the things we haven't talked about free throws a lot because like, yeah, you can't explain it. Like they either make the shot or they miss the shot. But it is confusing that you can go from a team that shot it relatively well last year, top 40, and then all of a sudden they, you know, they can't make it this year. Tyson Walker's percentages have surprisingly gone way down. Like he was automatic last year. It's just sort of puzzling. And I, I guess I just wonder like, this is the worst free throw shooting team since 2017 when they were 67%. Mm-hmm. Like, is it just kind of fluky? Cause it's not like they don't work on free throws. I know they work on free throws, but. Or can you kind of like point to this as maybe a shred of evidence that this team just, I don't know, they just don't sweat the details or they they kind of don't care enough? Is that fair? I don't know. Is, is there anything to read into this? Uh, I don't know if that's fair. I mean, if anything, I'd say like for they, they do the same free throw shooting, um, you know, uh, regimen, I guess you'd call it, uh, that they've always done at a time so. And um, it, it's funny, like I, I felt like they were gotten better because – like the first month when they were losing a bunch of games, this was a big issue. And then it felt like they got better and it hasn't been an issue. So this is the first time I feel like we've talked about, thought about free throws since November, early December. Um, but I mean, they, they're doing the same sort of stuff. I mean, Tyson Walker is at 71% right now. Like he told us back in the, um, back in the early season, he said, I shoot a hundred free throws before every game. And I haven't made fewer than 95 of them out of hundred. I think he said, so like, you know, you ask about free throws, you get the same answers. We're, we're practicing them, we're making them in practice. So um, I, I can't jump into these guys' heads other than, you know, Molly Call missing five five out of six um, is, is certainly something going on there. I mean, I, I guess maybe you want the better free throw shooters shooting a couple more of them, but, um, you know, AJ Hogarth's done okay getting to the line. He's an 80% free throw shooter. You know, you want him getting there more. Tyson Walker, I mean, I think if he could get there more often, he's probably going to raise that percentage, but he has just not been able to get the calls and get to the line. So, um, 
uh, you know, Tom Izzo questioned having Carson Cooper in there at that point because uh, he's not a good free throw shooter. Um, and generally when the game is at that juncture, you're going to want good free throw shooters mostly in the game. So I think he felt like he um, he kind of opened that door for that to happen with his two misses at least. But th- that doesn't explain a lot of the rest of it either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tyson Walker was up near 80% last year. So you would think that that would come up uh, a little bit with a little more shooting. W- what else stuck out to you? I mean, I I, we have, I didn't get to see the press conference. It wasn't televised. It was just Tom talking to you to you guys. I mean, but I saw I saw Graham's tweet. I saw some of your guys' tweets about him being particularly distraught, it seemed like, after the win. And, I mean, what was behind that? Was it just he felt like this was kind of a missed opportunity or – yeah, the the press conference was one of the more interesting um, that I've been in with him. Uh, f- first of all, he did 20 minutes on the road after a loss, which um, inside baseball is like unheard of. Matt, Matt might maybe gets, what, three, four out of uh, the football head coach on the road. Um, uh, yeah, depends on where you're at. But that plane, that plane's got to leave when they lose when they lose. That plane's leaving. Never mind. It's a charter flight that will wait for them as long as they want. But there you go. I'll. I'll- stop um but it it felt like i mean it felt like uh therapy you know him kind of just wanting to to vent about a lot of things and you know he's been doing this thing lately where he really tries to take all the blame himself and, and not blame players um and you know i don't know how much of that is you know he feels like in this player empowerment transfer and il era whatever you want to call it that players can't be treated like they used to or if he feels like there's certain things about these players' psyches that that's not going to get the best out of them. But he did a lot of the, this is, co- you know, bad coaching, coaching mistakes, don't blame the players, blame me sort of stuff. But then, you know, it's Izzo, he kind of can't help himself. And it didn't take much to read between the lines and find out that he was less than thrilled with his point guard, A.J. Hogard, down the stretch. I think he felt very strongly that if A.J. Hogard could have played to his capabilities there in the second half and in the last 10 minutes uh, that they win that game. AJ had five assists in the first half, did not take a shot. Uh, Michigan State shot 60%. It was up by five. In the second half, uh, AJ Hogard had zero assists, went one for six from the field, and Michigan State shot 34%, I think. So not all on him, but um, at some critical junctures in the game, he was taking some long twos, some pull ups, some face ups. Um, the offense, I mean, they had to take a couple Jade Nakins three pointers at the, you know, as the shot clock was expiring. So just not good offense, not good shot selection at a really critical juncture, I thought. And then we can talk about Tyson Walker too, but if you, if you want. Right. Well, most notably those shots and those decisions came when Tyson Walker was out of the game, uh, seemed to aggravate his ongoing hip groin issue. He's got so many injuries, Kyle, every single game, this guy gets hurt. And it's, you know, I'm not saying he's not tough because he is, he's playing through everything, but like, Every single game, it seemed, I mean, we even had him jam his wrist. It looked like a little bit early in the game um, where he was down a little bit. It's just, he's a smaller guy and he's getting banged up. But yeah, I mean, even the broadcasters were saying it. They're like, you know, when Tyson Walker went out, it's like, okay, look for AJ Hogard to activate here. Some of those shots, just not his game. You know, the last one when he went to the basket, just trying to get too quick on the board before, you know, to try and extend the game a little bit. I didn't have a problem with that, actually. No, no, I didn't either. Yeah. I mean, that one, he just missed the layup. I mean, but yeah. you would have liked to have seen them do, him doing that, getting downhill and getting to the basket when Tyson was out. Instead, he was like, he was bailing him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was, 
It, it was to me remarkable. So Tyson was only out for three minutes, um, but it it, it certainly felt, felt like, like longer. It felt like twenty, <laughs> and boy, how much that team changed instantly um, when he was out. And like Tyson Walker doesn't play forty minutes; like he goes to the bench. But something about like seeing him leave, I don't know. It it completely changed that team. Um, I mean, I. I, I agree. AJ Hogarth looked like he was saying, okay, I'm, it's my turn to be the guy now. But, man, that offense is just so reliant on Tyson Walker, it feels like, to um, to bail them out at the end of possessions, to draw to draw defense toward him and make other guys open. And, um, yeah, they just looked lost. They had a lot of empty possessions without him. Um, Minnesota was able to go down and hit some. And they were up nine when he got hurt. He came back in. I think they were still up two, uh, but then they lost the lead pretty quickly, and it completely changed. And you know, it's it's disconcerting if you're a Michigan State fan because Tyson Walker, um, he's hobbled. Um, I mean, you can say he's. I mean, he, he it's become kind of an ongoing joke with us because you, if you ask Tyson Walker how he's feeling, um, you know, like he could have his arm hanging halfway off, and he'd say, "I'm fine." Um, so that's what he told us last night, and then like he he could barely get out of the chair, um, you know, and uh, kind of had to hobble across the media room to get out of there. So he, he is clearly hobbled. So to see the condition that he's in, you know, I'm sure he'll start and, and look okay to start the game, but he's not in great condition. So to know that and to know what Michigan state can look like uh, when he's out is um, concerning. I think it's like when you do something to uh, annoy your wife or your significant other and they, they want to just brush it under the rug and act like it's all good and they tell you the, I'm fine, it's fine. But you know that like when they say it's fine, like that doesn't really mean you're fine, you know? So, um, and give credit to Tyson, you know, you know Tom, or, they're not going to give him any sympathy. It's If it's just bumps and bruises, like it is what it is. He's going to have to keep grinding and Tyson will want it to be that way. He's a tough kid, but uh that just means guys like like AJ and Malik need to step up and be the players that they can be. You know, I mean, like you can't be these seniors that have all this experience and just have this inconsistency game in and game out. And I feel like it's a broken record because every time we think we've been hyping AJ up a lot lately and then he has a game like this. Same with Malik. He started out well. There he goes. I mean, the team just isn't good enough, isn't deep enough, doesn't have the size beyond, you know, the Tyson Walker scoring to have these kind of performances from their key guys, especially when they're not getting enough from the center position. So it's just concerning moving forward. And it's just more, you know, kind of emphasis that this is just kind of a good, not great Michigan State team that has a ceiling. And it's hard to see that changing when things like this keep happening. Well, every time you think it is changing, they go do this, you know, like they had one, four or five beforehand. And it's like every time they pull out the rug out from under you, it's like every time you think that, okay, they're getting it together. They're going to, you know, they're really going to turn a corner. They just don't. It ceiling's the right word. It's like they hit a ceiling. Do we need to have the Booker and Carr conversation? Because Tom keeps saying he wants to get him more minutes. I thought Booker in particular had a pretty good stretch in the first half. I didn't think he did anything that to not earn minutes moving forward. I mean, defensively, I guess it's always going to be a question, but he just makes them more of a threat on offense. I don't know. Kohler had a rough stretch, so I got in that first half uh, going against the 60-year senior Fox, who decided to have a career game last night, I guess. Uh, that So I get why he wasn't out there. Carr, you know, we know what his limitations are, but I don't know. Like They hardly played any of the three of them, and people were talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of don't know what else to say at this, at this point. Um, you know, the, the issues are still are still the issues. But what, so let me ask it a different way then, Kyle. Why does why does Izzo keep saying we need to get them more action and then just doesn't play them? Like, who's making that call? Yeah, yeah I, I can understand being frustrated by that. Like, I, I, 
I mean, I think partially that's like what you want to say. I mean, you're trying to reassure, you know, them, their families, future recruits, motivating them. And I do think that like he wants to play them more, like in a perfect world, these guys would get more. But then when the rubber meets the road and you're coaching a game and you're looking at matchups and you look at how the team's going and maybe you get them out there for a shift and you see some of the mistakes that are made. Um, I think in the moment, then it just doesn't happen. Um, uh, Cohen Carr, I mean, the fact that he is, um, he just completely lacks a jump shot is just a glaring issue whenever he's out there. Um, you look at how they defend him. I think it just gums up the offense completely, throws sand in the gears and makes life a lot harder for the other four guys that he's out there with. Um, Kohler, you know, I always talk about matchup dependent. He's been good at times, like you mentioned, tough last night. Um, Booker, yeah, I mean, he's kind of number one on everybody's list, right? Um, uh, thought he took a rush shot last night, um, did some things, but then, um, I, I can think of one possession in particular where he was out on a ball screen and just got toasted for, I think, a layup or a dunk. So, um, now everybody's going to make mistakes and a lot of the veterans can make mistakes like that and they're going to play through them. Um, why do they have a shorter leash? I mean, Izzo just feels like you are going to win with veterans. Um, and that um, on the whole, if you give a guy 20 minutes, you're going to get better 20 minutes out of the veteran than the freshman. People can disagree. Um, and obviously, when I, we don't know. I mean, unless you would have put Booker out there for 20 minutes. Um, I, again, tell people to go back to the Penn State game when he did almost play 20 minutes and didn't look that good. So, um, ah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I'm answering anybody's questions. Um I get five tweets afterwards saying demand of time is why he isn't like he is like asked and answered if, if we're in a courtroom and I'm a lawyer, you know, like we've asked him, he's answered it. Like the, the answers aren't changing. Um, and like if Xavier Booker was dunking on everybody in practice, you know, and lighting everybody up, like he would be playing. Um, so Matt's rubbing his eyes. I think he's heard enough of this. I, no, you just, the asked and answered thing is like bringing back like flashbacks of reading hundreds of pages of depositions when your eyes are glazed over and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> thanks for that reminder. Appreciate it. I just, you know, I mean, I get why fans are frustrated about it, you know, and we tried all summer to tell people to chill out on Xavier Booker and I uh, just didn't listen. I think, I think people just watch Carson Cooper, like have zero skill with the ball in his hand and Mati Sissoko traveling, like before he's even dribbling the ball and he's been in this program for four years and they're just like, at least Booker has like skills, you know, like just at least he has offensive skills. Here's where, here's where I, I want to come around, I guess come around more, but like the big thing, like a year and a half ago was you didn't go get a big man. Like their lack of a big man. It feels like every game is getting more and more and more glaring. And like, they, they could get away with it for a little while, but like he pulled Madi with like eight minutes left last night for good. And he liked, he doesn't do that, but like he, they kept throwing it to him in the post and he would just travel immediately. Like it was like one of the most baffling things. And like two out of three games now, and listen, I know it was Wisconsin. It was a personal thing. You know, he had somebody in the family die. He was kind of keeping it to himself. So not holding that against him, but two out of three games, he has just kind of been out of it really unplayable. Um, Carson Cooper, um, Shoot, I, I taught him in the, in the preseason. He was my breakout candidate. Hasn't really happened for him. Um, I don't think he's been terrible, but he hasn't taken the steps that I thought he would. Kohler's been hurt. You know, they just, they don't have it. And, um, you know, um, if Booker was the answer, we'd be seeing more Bookers, I guess, the easiest way um, I can put it. It's just unfortunate because I do think the guard play on this team is is pretty good. I mean, it's above average for sure. And 
Yeah, Jay Nakins is, is coming around. I'm happy with, with his play for the most part. You know, uh, try, did his best on Cam Christie, who just got free, shook free a few times. And, you know, Christie, you know, obviously there's the connection there with Max. And he he talked about after the game that he was definitely motivated to play against them and how it's, you know, Michigan State, he wanted to get up for that game. They obviously took a look at him in recruiting. And uh, he, he is probably the main reason that Minnesota won. But I don't know, like, it's just sad to see that, like, if the, if Izzo just would have been willing to go out and, and just get someone that could give you a bucket at center and play physical and be down there and battle, like, they might have five, four or five more wins, Kyle, because I really do like the guard play on this team. And it's just it's just sad. And the metrics back that up. So hopefully, like we've talked about, this is the time that Izzo has kind of learned. They're like, hey, you know. I feel pretty strongly it's going to happen this offseason. Because he put his faith in body in Cooper, and it's not working. No, and um, I mean not, not their fault. I mean they're out there trying, but it's just it's not working. And it's like Tom Izzo's whole like ethos philosophy is to have a back to the basket big man and throw it to him to set it up offense. You know, it's like it's like football. You got to run the ball to set up the pass. You know, Tom's thing is you got to throw the ball down low to to set up the you know everything else. And I get the philosophy, but like man, if if I had some advanced stats in front of me, they're they're points per possession on times they throw it down to Madi and, and Cooper have to be pretty small. Um, so it's just, it's not, uh, it's not a good scene down the stretch. They've been going with Cooper. Like he said, like, well, if Cooper can't hit free throws, I can't him have been there. He just decided not to have Madi in there. Like, like who's your center? Like at winning time. Like, I don't think, I'm not sure they know. Yeah. Madi can at least hit a free throw. I'll give him that. And he rebounds. And and they like his ball screen defense when when he's doing it well. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just they just don't have a center that has all the things they need, and it's it's a glaring issue. So uh, you know what can you do? Uh, Michigan State is going to have to keep moving forward here. They got a huge game against Illinois coming up here. I mean, just this is a game at Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota's improved. They're in the top four in the big 10 now against all odds, but I don't know. Still feels like a bad loss to me, a game Michigan state should have won. And, and now you look at this Illinois game on Saturday. I mean, this is one of your huge quad one opportunities. One of only two left on the schedule right now. I don't know, it feels like this game just got a lot bigger for Michigan state to try and like make up for this loss. But do you feel that way? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, first of all, Minnesota has been playing a lot better, but they have, bad numbers because they play like the worst non-conference schedule in the history of basketball. So um, that was only a quad two loss for them. And maybe that'll change, but um, it's, yeah, you're right on paper. It is, I think Minnesota is playing okay right now, but on paper it does not look like a good loss um, at all. Uh, but I kind of like starting really starting after the Wisconsin game with like most of February and March, it's like there were basically like two levels of games. It was the Illinois and Purdue games in one bucket and then all the rest of the games in the other bucket. Uh, because I think those two and Wisconsin, those two teams in Wisconsin have really separated themselves. So to me of the rest of the games, the non Illinois Purdue, they were, they were going to be favored in all of them. I think you can drop one or two of them and still, you know, be in pretty good shape as far as NCAA tournament. They just dropped one of them. So margin for errors getting that much smaller. Um, Illinois, like you don't need it. Like I've had that pencil in kind of as a loss, um, but it would help. Uh, I think it would. I, I I still think this team is going to be fine on selection Sunday. I don't think it's going to be sweating, but you could kind of end all discussion pretty early. Um, if you could just get that, it would certainly make you feel like good. And like, you know, when's the last time they really beat like a 
top, I mean, Baylor's really the only like top four, you know, NCAA tournament seed um, type team they've beaten, right? This this year, for sure. Um, yeah, this year. I mean, I mean, who else have they beaten that's like going to the tournament? Indiana State, maybe. But Butler, Butler's playing well, Indiana State. Um, Maryland is not, Michigan, yeah, like they haven't been, they haven't been a whole lot of NCAA tournament teams. Yeah. But they're and they're still like most projections still have them firmly, you know, in that between the eight to eleven barrier because they have good metrics and whatnot. And if they take care of business, they should be in. But it's just I don't know, man. It's just so underwhelming. This is the fourth year in a row Michigan State fans have had to deal with just not what we're used to with Michigan State basketball. And I don't know. People are starting to question ask the Izzo question. I'm not. I think that's crazy talk. But next year is gonna be a big year to kind of see uh, once this core moves on. To kind of see what happens next year. I mean, we, we will have plenty of time to talk about that. And I think they'll still make the tournament here. They you know, could probably, if matchups are right, go on a run to the Sweet 16 like we saw last year because we know the team is capable of playing better. But I don't know, man, just, just a lot of flaws. And it's hard to really get on board with this team doing something really all that remarkable at any point during the season. But we'll keep tracking 2 o'clock on CBS versus Illinois. Obviously, a big game for Michigan State and a chance to get a, a big time win that can kind of change the narrative once again. And we'll see if they can get on a run here through the last bit of the season. Um, it was National Signing Day today, Matt. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have the juice that it used to uh, back in the day because the early signing period has kind of taken over. Uh, Michigan State did bring a couple guys in. They had a guy flip today. So, um, some notable stuff, but, you know, Jonathan Smith's class, by all accounts, pretty much uh, signed, sealed, and delivered at this point. Uh, yeah, for them, pretty much. Um, so they, you know, they signed 18, um, guys in, in December and, you know, Smith had said, you know, I don't expect it to be a big group and it's not. So, um, only two scholarship additions right now, uh, Jalen Brown, a three-star receiver from, uh, Texas and Mike Sean, uh, Beeler is a three-star defensive, uh, tackle from Chicago. So, um, Martin Connington, um, he's a kicker from Idaho, one of the one of the better ones in the class. He is is not a scholarship edition right now, but you got to imagine when Jonathan Kim finishes his final season in the fall of college eligibility that they'll probably move uh, move him there. So or put him on scholarship as you know, kind of the guy of the future. But um, so yeah, Connington's one of I think in my last count there's nine walk preferred walk ons, uh, most of them in state guys. Uh, that they've they've added recently, so that's where they stand right now. So it would be uh, twenty scholarship guys and only one loss from that from the. I think it was eight guys were committed when Smith took over, and he got all of them except for uh, Jaden Walker, three star linebacker from Portage Northern, who, as many speculated, um, he didn't sign in December. He's the only commit who didn't. And he uh, signed with USC today. So uh, that's that's where they're at. So, I mean, it's a top 50 class in the country. Um, this is after, you know, Mel had back-to-back top 25 classes. But, you know, I think given the circumstances of, of last season um, when Mel's ousted in, in in September and and you lose more than a half a dozen guys from the class, some four-star prospects, uh, Smith comes in. And has less than a month before the first signing, the early signing period, and and gets 18 guys. And I, you know, I, I don't know how much better you could have expected him to do. And so, just a, a solid, a solid start, I, I would say. Um, you know, not too much has gone uh, gone wrong for him uh, in the 
two months plus on the job. Yeah, and the transfer class should be pretty impactful. The guys they've got, we've talked about them being guys who have been proven on the field. Uh, just some note, Rustin Young, offensive tackle from Honolulu. He did get bumped up to a four-star, so he and Nick Marsh, two of the four-stars in the class. I think Brady Pretzlaff, linebacker from Gaylord, is a four-star in some places, I think I saw. Uh, but Jalen Brown, like you mentioned, he signed really late today. Signing today, the kid from Texas, you know, kind of a big-bodied guy who can make plays in there. I think Michigan State was like his only P5 offer, and – I think as of today, he jumped up to being like the third best guy in their class, which is uh, pretty good when you can find someone like that, you know, late, I guess. Uh, receiver, you know, Marsh I, is a guy that a lot of people are expecting to step in and do some things, but uh, hearing some good stuff from him as well. So and I guess just kind of a good sign from the from the uh, from the staff to be able to get these guys that are rising late. I think that's always a good sign when you have an eye for talent. Yeah. And, you know, you, you got to remember, you know, he didn't even finalize his staff until you know, right before the first signing day of the early signing period. So, you know, he had, he had talked initially about, you know, it being an opportunity to kind of, you know, do a little more research, you know, some of these guys that might go under the radar, you know, and, and be able to dig in on a few of these guys. And, and, and the two scholarship editions today were both really late, you know, January offers and quick recruitment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they they had an opportunity to, to try and add some talent. And like you said, um, the the wide receiver, uh, Brown, had uh, only – I think that Michigan State was the only Power 5 offer, whereas uh, Beeler had like 30-some offers. So, um, you know, both in different situations, but, you know, an opportunity for them to – to for that staff to, to find a few more. Do we want to have our our Spartan spotlight uh, whip around real quick? I, I know we we're still that's a that's a working title there, but uh, <laughs> I know we've been talking about covering other Michigan State sports here, and you guys have been. I mean, the hockey team's top ten, women's basketball is exciting. Do we have any notes from across the athletic department that we want to share real quick before we get out of here? You want me to go first, Kyle? I can knock out. Um, yeah, you. Yeah, you. You were just yeah, hockey to go. It was a hockey the other day. Um, so yeah, I mean, Michigan State. Uh, you know, if you've been paying attention, the Adam Nightingale hire looks like a pretty damn good one for, for Alan Haller. It's is year two under him. Michigan state is in a rare position. Uh, it hasn't been uh, first place in the big 10 standings by five points against Wisconsin, although they've, they've played two more games and a uh, big series this weekend, Michigan state will play at Michigan on Friday night. And then the two teams will have a rematch Saturday night at LCA or in the uh, duel in the D as they call it. So um, if last if the first series against Michigan was any indication, uh, this should be interesting. They, the Wolverines came to, to East Lansing um, earlier this season and just smoked them when Michigan State was on fire. The next night they go to Ann Arbor and Michigan's up 4-1. Looks like they're going to storm. And then Michigan State just responds with a flurry and rallies and pulls off a really impressive win on the road and you know, being a comeback. And uh, they've, they've split their last three series. Uh, lost at Notre Dame last week on Friday, turned around, got a shutout win on Saturday. So um, doing really well in year two. So I'll do women's hoops. They've won four in a row. They are 17 and five now, uh, very likely heading to the NCAA tournament under Robin Freilich's first year. Um, so 
Um, they got two really tough ones coming up um, at Indiana versus Ohio State. Those are both top 15 teams. So could take some L's there, but um, in really good position. Um, like I said, Robin Felix did a good job in her first year, although, you know, a lot of holdovers. Susie Merchant gave her a roster. I think we're in pretty good shape, and, and she's done well with it. So um, good things happening over there. And then women's uh, – or not women's, just gymnastics um, on Sunday – one at uh, Michigan for the first time in, I think it was 34 years, 33, 34 years, um, and had a perfect 10 um, on vault, um, top 15 team in the country now. So a lot of a lot of good things happening. It's been a good winter for Michigan State outside of just basketball, men's basketball. Yeah, and if you're a Michigan State fan, you know, that should give you a lot of faith in Jonathan Smith because Harlan Bar- or, or uh, yeah, Harlan Barnett. I was going to mention Harlan Barnett uh, here at the end here, hired by Northwestern reportedly, so we're all happy for that. But uh, um, Alan Haller, track record of hiring these coaches, looking pretty good. So if you're a football fan, uh, hopefully he hit the lottery there with Jonathan Smith as well, and we'll find out because we got some spring football dates, um, and we got a showcase is what they're calling it, so no confirmation on a game yet. But uh, we will – keep a track of all that all the coverage on mlive.com slash spartans on all the sports surrounding michigan state as some of these other programs start to get back up to their winning ways we will talk about them more so that's going to do it for kyle austin and matt wenzel i'm brandon champion thank you once again for listening to mlive spartan confidential podcast we'll talk to you next time and go green